Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to Bible study today. I'm Gene Thomas, coming to you from Virginia. I'm uh, in my home where I'm doing some carpentry work around here, and you may hear all sorts of buzz saws and hammers and so forth behind me. In the, in the daytime, but remember that Jesus was a carpenter, and so maybe you can think of him working back there for me this morning. I don't know, but there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm wishing you that it, you'll be able to hear me all right, but if not, you can just look at my pretty face and be inspired by all that you all that you see before you there. <laughs> How you think, bud? Well, we had a nice day here in Virginia yesterday, and last night we got some rain and thunderstorm early this morning and the weather doesn't interest you much but it's my way of letting you know that I'm sitting here and thinking about you I don't know where you are but I know that the Lord is good and the Lord loves you he loves me and so together we can sit down here for a few minutes and study God's holy wonderful word and we're going to wind up the book little letter of Titus this morning by considering the third chapter together. And we're going to then end that discourse on the pastoral epistles, which we're looking at today. So we're going to invite you now to join me as I read the word. And it is, it is in fact, uh, to be found at Titus. And we will be reading at Titus. If you can't find Titus in your Bible, what you do is you go to, if you come across Timothy, you know that Titus is, follows that, and that's the three pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. So we're working on the third chapter of the book of Titus. Let me read it to you in the Living Bible. Remind your people to obey the government and its officers, always to be obedient and ready for any honest work. They must not speak evil of anyone, nor quarrel, but be gentle and truly courteous to all. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled by others and became slaves to many evil pleasures and wicked desires. Our lives were full of resentment and envy. We hated others and they hated us. But when the time came for the kindness and love of God, our Savior, to appear, then he saved us. Not because we were good enough to be saved, but because of his kindness and pity by washing away our sins and giving us the new joy of the indwelling Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us with wonderful fullness and all because of what Jesus Christ our Savior did, so that he could declare us good in God's eyes, all because of his great kindness and now we can share in the wealth of the eternal life he gives us. And we are eagerly looking forward to receiving it. These things I have told you are all true. Insist on them so that Christians will be careful to do good deeds all the time. For this is not only right, but it brings results. Don't get involved in arguing over unanswerable questions and controversial theological ideas. Keep out of arguments and quarrels about obedience to 
Jewish laws. For this kind of thing is worldwide and only does harm. If anyone is causing divisions among you, he should be given a first and then second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with it. For such a person has a wrong sense of values. He's sinning, and he knows it. Now, I'm planning to come, either Artemis or Tychius, to you. I'm going to send them to you as soon as one of them arrives. Please try to meet me at Necropolis as quickly as you can. For I've decided to stay there for the winter. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos from, with their trip. See that they're given everything they need. For our people must learn to help all who need their assistance, that their lives will be fruitful. Everyone here sends greetings. Please say hello to all the Christian friends there. May God's blessings be with you all. And therein is a reading of the third chapter of Titus, a wonderful Titus. And now we're going to sit here a few minutes and listen together to the sound of Jesus with his buzzsaw in back there. And we're going to learn to, well, think about what this third chapter might mean to you and to me as Christian people in the world. I know that we've covered greatly about Titus and his journey toward and in and through the island of Crete. We we refreshed ourselves on the memory that, according to tradition, one day he was turned and made into a bishop, and he presided on that island and took care of the many house churches in the various cities that were on that island. And so if we look at the verses together and come now to look at what they mean, may mean to us, we, we come across, first off, some suggestions as to the will of God that Paul summarizes the divine will of God in regard to rulers. He talks about how we are to obey them and to be gentle and courteous with one another, subject to existing governing mechanisms. This is, this is not, it's very interesting to me because he's not calling these people to be social rebels or to go out and try to necessarily get involved in changing the course of, of, the, of the destiny of the island. He's not causing the, asking them to get involved in local government or affairs. He's telling them more or less to be subject people uh, to the existing governing mechanism in order to get good done. You, you see, he was going to work with the system rather than against it. And it, 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 there's an old saying that if you want to empty the jailhouse, take good care of the church house. That's because, see, the church house produces good people who want to strive to work within the existing order. I don't mean to say that, that uh, you can't have a good revolution every now and then. That's what Thomas Jefferson said. It was a good thing to have every once in a while. A little revolution keeps the country on its toes. Well, this is not calling for that. It's calling for a, a, a working with what's taking place there in the land. It was important for Paul to encourage Titus to nurture harmony with the powers that were extant. 
He wanted to, to see that he grew a, a, a harmonious relationship with, with the leaders of the community. Isn't that interesting? The church takes fire and spreads under circumstances like that. And that's, of course, what they wanted. But you see that in verse 1 and 2, we look for. And then if we look in verses 3, well, well even on uh, to 7, you have, first off, something about the work of God. We consider the will of God. Now we're going to look at the work of God. What is God? What's God's work for this thing? Our He works so that the people there will be a godly people, connected together, uh, not to be deceived and disobedient sinners. Don't speak evil of one another. Uh, the rabbis one time said that if you say something bad, if it gets out of your mouth. It goes around the world doing evil and never comes back again. It's a, it's a difficult way to think about spiritual talking or speaking. But if you say something bad about somebody, it, it, it gets out there and gets in the world like a runaway rabid raccoon and just runs around the world biting people and everything. And, and so evil is like that. You just don't do it. Don't let it come out of your mouth, he says. And then he talks about the work of God in the sense of a, a graciousness, a graciousness, a moderation, and tenderness. These, these are the, this is the will that God gives Paul, that Paul gives Titus, that Titus gives those church leaders, that those church leaders give the church. It's a kind of a, well, is it one of a better word, a trickle-down sort of tenderness and gentleness that comes from above, so that there's no place in that order, see, bitterness and quarreling, anger. Because all you leaders from top to bottom are just as sweet as apple pie. And if that's where it comes from. It comes from that issue there. In verse 3, we see, you see that in verse 3, especially there. But he talks about how you shouldn't, if you live in a glass house, you shouldn't throw stones. That is to say that you are what you are, but at the same time you you shouldn't condemn others. And the Bible itself takes this on, you know, in Jesus. When Jesus comes and walks among us, one of the things that John declares he did was to uh, be at the stoning of a woman caught in adultery. Jesus says, you without sin cast the first stone. That is to say, you can't throw stones because you, you all, everybody lives in a glass house. We're all sinners, uh, saved by the grace of Jesus. We're not to brawl and be, uh, you know, get this attitude where I'm going to fight for Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to conquer the world for Jesus. You're going to talk like that. You know, that's, that's not, that's not what this, this text is invoking in us here. And so he saved us. Like that, just like that woman caught in the adultery, go and sin no more. He said to her, "Go and sin no more." No he gonna set her free from doing that anymore. And then the, the 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 Lord appears, Jesus Christ appears, and the word for that there, that word there is like a philanthropist. That is a, a love of the brotherhood. Jesus came into the world. 
to give us his righteousness, just like a great philanthropist would give us money, but an abundance of it. Jesus gives righteousness that covers over our sinful state. Hey, if you think that you're not a sinner, I beg you to read what the law that was loaded on Moses by God in Exodus. Just take a look at that sometime. What Moses brought down off that mountain is more laws than you can count. I mean, just, just, just and you can't keep them. I can't keep them. But Christ came to see that we would be forgiven of them. So, and how does he do this? But in verse 5, he talks not by works, but by mercy. I don't know if you've thought much about this, about how he saves us and all that, but <coughs> Christ atones for our sins by the washing of regeneration. That word works its way in there. Regeneration or spiritual rebirth, the renovation or the restoration is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. It's important to remember that salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. So that you've got Jesus coming into the world doing the work of the Holy Ghost of God. So the Holy Ghost is a work Oh, it's a work. It's a work. It's what God does and what God wants to happen is to restore us to a pristine state. For example, if you if you have an old automobile, some people take old automobiles and fix them up and make them look shiny and new. Well, that sometimes they're better than they were when they were brand new because of all the work that they've done on them. It's the same thing with you. I don't want to compare you to a hot rod, but at the same time, I want you to see that God does a complete makeover on you spiritually. Pours that out richly and abundantly, says in verse 6. Just, just drenches you in it. And declares then that you are righteous based on that. By Jesus Christ then, we inherit, see, Inherit, we are heirs. The Bible says heirs of this, that, and the other. But what that means is we uh, inherit this perpetual life, this what's called Zoe, a Zoe life, not just a, a biological clock ticking, heart beating life, but a, a, a spiritual life beyond this world that is given to us by the Lord. And the good works that we do, or we are careful to do, because we're impelled to do them and compelled to do them by the Holy Spirit of God as the Holy Spirit continues to work on us. In verse 10, we go from verse 8 to, to, through 9 to 10, the word heretic is used here. Only in Titus you find this word heretic or schismatic uh, as being really, really bad. He talks about that there in verse 10. Verse 10, he says to us uh, that we uh, nor steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy. And this way they may make people want to believe in their Savior. Uh, we have where it says, uh, oh, let me see here. If anyone is causing divisions among you, he should be given a first and second warning. You see that? Where he talks about you having divisions among you. 
That's a schismatic. That's somebody that wants to, uh, you get the word scissors from it. Take schismatic cuts things up, cuts things up. Not always cuts them in half, but just cuts up stuff, cuts it up. And you remember you used to give children scissors that were made out of plastic so they wouldn't hurt anything, wouldn't, couldn't cut yourself and nothing, had a dull end on it. I remember I used to be toys when I was a child, and you could cut paper with it, cut paper with it. It wasn't a very pretty thing, wasn't very effective, but it got that job done of cutting that paper. And so a schismatic is like that. He, he, and and in, in the church, on Crete, Titus was to made, be made aware that within these congregations were schismatic folk who had nothing better to do than cut things up, see. Uh, cut, and that's what a heretic is. There's a schismatic that cuts things up. And then, and then in verse 10, he talks about how they have that second chance. You know, he says, if you call out a schismatic then one time and they say something about, well, this is going to create divisions. We don't, you know, and you do that. But they do it again. They do it again. They, they, they are spiritually schismatic and you, they have to be dismissed. Dismissed. You know, you don't stone them or anything like that, but you just dismiss them from the discussion. Uh, now, he, he closes up this wonderful letter with all these directions about how he's planning this and that and send this Artemis and Tychius to you as, as, as one of them arrives please try to meet me at Nicopolis as quickly as you can well this, this conclusion is interesting because it, it has some, some people in it that we're going to encounter as we go along through the Bible and this place Nicopolis is, is there it, it is still there and it's a beautiful, lovely little place. It's on the eastern side of the island of Greece. Uh, Nicopolis is a, a place of all looks alike, little white houses with pink roofs on them and great olive gardens and beautiful, beautiful vistas of the mountains all around. But Nicopolis was a great place to spend the winter, and Paul was going to do that. He was going to, he was going to meet, meet it, uh, Titus in, in that place. Meet up with him as quickly as he can. And he talks about this, uh, these other people who will show up at the tail end of the other letters in a time or two. Help Zenos the lawyer, Apollos with their trip. They've been giving everything they need. For well, our people must learn to help all who need their assistance and their lives will be fruitful. Everybody here sends greetings. Please say hello to all the Christian friends there. May God's blessings be with you all. And he begins to give these farewell, farewell instructions. And that concludes Titus, that letter. If we look back at chapter 1 and do a little bit of an overview, we will see that what, what was required of church leaders is in there. If you to study that is helpful. That gives you a base to work on. Chapter 2 talks about the proper approach to different groups in the church. It talks about leadership matters and how that would work out. And finally in chapter 3, we've got this ethical program talking about how we are good because God makes us so. 
and how he gives us deliverance, you know, and how he leads us on and where, where this hopefully these churches will wind up and be and go. And I think that's, that's concludes the letter to Titus. I want to just say to you that, uh, what I did with it, you may find helpful. I did use this living Bible, which, which cuts a much easier approach, I think, to some of the, uh, King James version of the letters, because the language in them is often very difficult to decipher. I can't only make out some of it, even, if, but by looking at some of the key words in the Greek, we were able to come through not only in Titus, but first and second Timothy and using the same kind of approach to the pastoral epistle. I also was a friend of the outline Bible, and you will find the outline Bible to be extremely helpful if you're trying to teach the Bible to people because it lays out plans to proceed through certain texts in the course of a, the course of a, a maybe a half hour or an hour. So I use that quite a bit. Another tool that I used in studying the pastoral epistles was the, of course, the internet. Everybody has the internet and, uh, no, not everybody, but, but the internet is helpful in studying the Bible. You get to go to look at places like, like Nicopolis. You can go there and look around and see what it looks like today and give some thought what it looks like then. But you can also get some scholarship help with work on a text that'll make it better for you. You can, you can get somebody, just put the text in the, in the search engine of your uh, computer and just let it roll and you see what you, what it comes up with. There's some fantastic Bible teachers online. Some maybe not so good either, but you can determine the two and you can look and see that how it is that they can help you to grow in the knowledge of uh, any of the Bible, but particularly, I think the pastoral epistles is, is quite helpful. And finally, I want to say, I use a cell phone a lot. I, I use a cell phone to do Bible studies, and I use a cell phone sometimes to uh, uh, put a Bible study together. And the way I do that is I use a uh, Bible that has strong uh, concordance hooked to it. Because strong concordance will help you decipher a Greek word very, very quickly. And it, it comes to looking like that and it's in the sense that it just has the, the King James Version on the, on the telephone, on the Bible. But what you can do is put your finger on any word that you want uh, turned into Greek uh, so that you can understand it. And what will pop up is a reference to Strong's Bible. So then you can go there and tell what that original word was trying to mean when the King James Version wrote it. So that's number one, why the King James Version is so important is because it's linked directly to Strong's Concordance. And you can put the two simultaneously on your cell phone. Now, if you have a feature, most most uh, Apple phones do, a little feature called Notes, why you can go to Notes and type out your little notes to correspond to the verses that you're working on and you can run right on through a text like we went through today having having some time to prepare now you can't do this immediately it takes a while to prepare that but when you get through there you will see a deeper insight into the Bible so it's a glancing process off of the glance off the
King James Version to Strong's Concordance, all on your cell phone, and from Strong's Concordance and the conclusions you make, right to your notes in your Apple phone. So you have your study done right there. So you can go to Sunday school class if you're the teacher, and you can just scroll down there and, and look at your notes based on your study that you did, see, of King James Version working with Strong's Concordance. Now, it cuts a buzzsaw through the text. You, 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 you're most closer to the text. I have a tendency to, to wander all over creation and, and, and come up with all kinds of stuff, which the Lord will give me nothing wrong with that, but the Lord also gives me the ability to sit down on my bottom and work through a text like we have done. So, First, Second Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles. We came, we saw, we conquered if you stuck with me all the way through, you deserve a medal. And I'd pin it on you if I could touch it. <laughs> well, God bless each one of you this week. I hope the Lord will preserve you and keep you. The text tells us that we have perpetual life in him. And I think that's just super. To know that in, in the end, we belong to God. And to God we go back again. So here we are in the Lenten season. And I bless you in Jesus' holy name. And bid you farewell. Amen. Amen. Do meu Show!